Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Here, we want to help you think about culture in a way that honors God and a way that takes every thought captive to King Jesus. I'm Ryan Aris. This is episode 11 of season 2 of the podcast for Cultural Reformation. And it doesn't feel like uh, we've been at it for all that long. I mean, this could be episode 10 for all we know. We're focusing this season on cultural pressure points, where the ground is shifting under our feet and what the timeless, authoritative Word of God calls normal. Today's guest is a playwright, an artistic director, a teacher, an evangelist. He's a consultant for the Disney Institute, and he was the inaugural Senior Associate for the Arts with the Lausanne Movement. His name is Dr. Colin Harbinson, and he talks about the arts as worship, about faithfulness, discipleship, and art as a means of cultural transformation. Colin Harbinson, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan. Good to be here. It's great to have you, and um, I've uh, I've been looking forward to this. This is a uh, this area where uh, where you spent most of your life and career is something that uh, that sort of interests me, but that I've never been directly involved with. So it's uh, it's a real pleasure to kind of get behind the curtain a little bit and hope to uh, to hear from some of your hear some of your insights. That's great. Well, I'm passionate about this area. It's an area that God has called me, as you mentioned, to invest my life in and for His glory. So I'm looking forward to our dialogue together. Wonderful. Well, why don't uh, why don't we start with you? Um, I, I understand that uh, you uh, th- this career path in the arts. You, uh, you this wasn't an automatic or a, uh, a na- necessarily a natural thing uh, for you to do. And you mentioned that, that this is a calling of yours. Um, but uh, you grew up in in quite a conservative family. Uh, how did how did you come to be involved in the arts at all? I'm, um, it, I often think about it as God's little joke. Um, I mean, I was I was brought up in a very fundamentalist Christian home um, where uh, everything beyond the church was considered worldly, uh, and particularly any, anything in the arts. I mean, that was just not anything that a young Christian man would ever participate in. So strange as it may seem, I saw my first movie when I was 18 years of age. Is that right? And it was a huge act of rebellion on my part. Wow. You know, I, I was actually on my way to university and uh, doing some work um, in preparation for heading out and decided one day I was away from home. Um, I'm going to go watch a movie. And, uh, and I did. And you know what? I hated every moment of it because <laughs> all, all I could think about was the words that were spoken to me so often was, what would you do if Jesus came back and found you watching a movie? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I never really knew what would happen or how he would feel, but it never sounded good. And here I was watching you know, my first movie at 18 years of age. And that was how shielded I was. And uh, I went on to university, that was 1965, and uh, this was the era of the Beatles, and yeah. huge creativity. 
world music. And uh, I met a young man at, at university who told me he had a fan. And um, he said he was uh, in a little bit of trouble because they had a concert that weekend and their drummer was sick and wouldn't be able to participate. And so he asked me if I've ever played the drums. And I just burst out laughing and uh, I said, the furthest thing from my experience. And he persisted and said, look, I'm really, really desperate. Um, and so he got me to agree. And for three days, we went down into the basement of this house and I rehearsed having never sat behind a drum set in my life. Uh, and that weekend, I was in my first uh, Christian rock concert. Oh, wow. And, and I stayed with the band for seven years, uh, you know, doing, doing other things. But I was, I was beginning to understand, Ryan, that God has given gifts to me, creative gifts, that I'd never been given an opportunity in my church or in my home. Um, to develop, and one one more maybe little little incident here uh, at university. One of the first classes that we had was a dance class, a movement class. Well, the D word in my home was you know the worst word you could talk about. Right. Um, right. You know, dance was not part of our universe, and and here I am um, with about thirty five young ladies and two or three guys. And, yeah. and that was a shock. And the professor said, now I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to pretend that you're a flower. And I want you, when you hear the music, to open your arms like you're opening your petals. And the music will change. And night will come. And you will close your petals. And, and I thought, get me out of here. I mean, what is this? Right. Yeah. But you know what? Something really happened inside me when I began to use my body. Um, and I went on uh, a decade later to actually have my own dance company um, that, um, you know, was, was quite successful. But these were, these were some of the early introductions to the arts. And I just was so excited to discover and have the opportunity to discover that God had given me these creative gifts that I could now develop. Yeah, that's astonishing. Do you remember what movie it was that you saw? <laughs> I thought you might ask me that. It was What Do You Put the Gap? <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, and I still remember, still hear the song Tom Jones singing yeah. What Do You Put the Gap? Um, but that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's uh, I guess I guess that's a classic of sorts, isn't it? So you've, uh, you you may, you might have done worse, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess. I'm still not sure. I I'm not sure I made much sense of it at the time, but it was the uh, the shock of being in a theater. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. enough. That was enough to begin with. <laughs> I remember I was I was raised actually in a, a bit of a similar context, um, but uh, here in in Canada in northern Ontario. And a, uh, a good friend of mine as a boy, uh, his family was Catholic. And I remember the first time I, I stayed over at their house and we went to evening mass. And it was just completely overwhelming to me. Um, I, did, I didn't, know, didn't know how to make heads or tails of the thing. Like, why, why, are, they, why are they standing now? 
what are, what are we saying? You all seem to know what how to respond when this guy says something. <laughs> yeah, another world, right? Yeah, exactly. So you you mentioned that um, that you you ran a a dance theater company for several years, and uh, that it was and your your theater company was actually uh, quite successful, and I believe you were invited to perform at the uh, the Edinburgh Festival. Um, and for for our listeners, um, I understand that uh, this is this is is it the world's largest um, arts festival or one of the world's largest. One of the world's and the, and the most prestigious, you right. know, it's, uh, yeah, like to be invited was, you know, and is an amazing opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, like, they have Surian McKellen, Ricky Gervais, the Scottish Chamber Orchestra, um, Philip Glass. These these guys are all some of the uh, some of the mainstays or features at uh, at the festival. People, I mean, artists come literally from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for two weeks, um, and so I, as you as you say, I, I had my my company at that point. I was doing it part time, and uh, we had this invitation to perform one of my shows there at the Edinburgh Festival. And I thought, honestly, this is it. Yeah, it was my passion. Yeah. Um, at, at that point in my life, the art, I, I lived it, I breathed it, I wanted to glorify God. Through it, and I had this vision of a of a company that would go out into the middle of the culture and bring transformation. And here's now this amazing invitation. But uh, much to my chagrin uh, and to my shock, um, God said no hmm. so clearly. Um, so in the middle of my excitement. Um, God speaks to me in one of those very clear ways and says, and said, no. Uh, and at that very time, um, he called me to lay down my career in teaching. I was a acting headmaster of a quite a large school in England at the time. And actually joined uh, a mission organization called Youth with a Mission, which right. I didn't want to do either. You know, they didn't pay you any money. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> didn't sound too exciting to me. But you know, while I am so grateful to God that he closed the door on me at that time. Because there was so much of me, so much of pride um, in, in mixing with the vision that I know that God has given me. And I'm pretty sure that if I had gone and done the Edinburgh Festival and all the things that could have come from that, I would have been seduced by success. But the other side, I would have been devastated by failure. Uh, because, as I say, you know, it was, it was about me. Right. It was about me, even though I love the Lord. Um, and this is why, you know, and I hope we'll be able to get into this a little bit later, but this is why um, whenever I talk about the arts, I have to talk about Christian discipleship because it's one thing to encourage Christians to develop their creative gifts. It's quite another to send them out as lambs to the slaughter when they haven't dealt with issues in their lives that need to be dealt with. And so um, it was a very important lesson for me and has continued to be in the decades that have followed. 
Right. So you uh, you started out. Um, you describe you described your act of going to the theater to watch what's new, Pussycat, um, as an act of rebellion. Um, but it was uh, it was not it was it was not an act of rebellion in terms of turning away from the Lord. It sounds like your uh, you you from the beginning wanted to glorify God with the arts. Is that uh, is that fair to say? No, no question. And uh, yeah, when I use that word rebellion, I was rebelling against my family upbringing, against the restrictive lifestyle, the you know, a Christianity that was defined by what you don't do, not by what you do do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and, it, and it was that. But in the middle of it all, um, from the age of 12, when I met the Lord, I had a stunning encounter with the Lord that changed my life totally at the age of 12. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was passionate, passionate about serving Him, passionate and loving Him, wanting to find His direction for my life, for sure. Was uh, at th- at this moment, so you had uh, you felt the Lord leading you away from things like the Edinburgh Festival, um, take up this position with Youth with a Mission. Uh, was it was it at that moment that uh, that you sort of, you realized that this was your lifelong calling, or were you kind of did you feel like yeah I'll, I'll try this for for a season and then go back into uh, into sort of the the mainstream theater world? Well, um, you know, when, when I sensed the Lord calling me to be a part of Youth with a Mission, the organization had invited me to come in and to develop the arts within the context of, of, of the mission. Um, and actually, there, there, there are two things that stand out in my mind. One was the struggle I had um, to give up my job and my training um, in teaching, when joined this organization, as I said, that didn't pay you any money. Yeah. You know, uh, you had to live in community, not in a commune, but in community. Mm-hmm. You had to raise, you, you had to raise your own money, support. These were things that I wasn't very excited about. Sure. But in my struggle, um, I went for a walk uh, in a forest that was quite close to my home. And, and again, I had one of those, an amazing encounter with the Lord. I don't think I've ever had one as strong as this sense where I felt like I was talking with the Lord, having a conversation, and he was speaking back to me, and I was responding. Um, and, in, and in this conversation that I was having, he was speaking to me and giving me scriptures. And I remember um, I was sitting down on a stone-off log, um, in the middle of the forest, and this airplane flew over my head. Now, we were close to Gatwick Airport, um, but this plane felt like it was as close as I could almost touch. I mean, it literally was taking off and flying over my head. And when that happened, I heard the Lord speak to me clearly, what I have for you is going to take you to the nations of the world. And I'd, I'd been to Canada maybe once um, to see my father who lives here. And I'd been to France, um, the world, you know. Yeah. God was saying, I'm going to take you to the nations of the world. And then 10 years later, um, 
after I'd got engaged in life and was actually doing things in many different countries, the Lord again spoke to me in a very powerful way um, in St. Petersburg in Russia. Um, when, when the Cold War ended, um, the new Russian government invited me to do the first East-West cultural exchange. And, um, and it was in itself, a, you know, another story, but um, an amazing historic moment. Um, and when I went there um, to confirm this, um, soon after the coup had failed, and then there'd been a coup, uh, they tried to get rid of Gorbachev, and it failed, and they kicked all the communists out yeah. and sealed their buildings and sealed the doors of their palaces. And they said, we have a favor to ask you. Um, we have a palace on the Nevsky that was the headquarters of the Communist Party for 70 years. Mm -hmm. uh, it has a horrible, terrible reputation. Um, and we'd like to change that. Would you be willing to make the palace yours and use it as you prepare for the festival and during the festival? And uh, I thought, my goodness, I'm English. Yeah. I've never, I've never been offered a palace before. I like this idea. Yeah. And uh, so we went down onto the Levnetsky with the government leaders, the new leaders in the nation, and uh, they broke the seal off of the doors and opened the door and said, "This is now your palace." And they walked me down the corridor to the office of the leader of the Communist Party who had been kicked out and his seal was on the door. No one had gone in since he'd been thrown out and they broke the seal. I walked in and they said, sit at your desk. And I sat at the desk and there was a picture of Lenin behind me on the wall. I mean, this was an extraordinary historic moment to be yeah. a part of. Yeah, I can't even and, but, but the bigger moment for me was what God spoke to me. And he said, just as you've seen the seals being broken off of these doors, I'm going to break open the doors of nations that are closed to my truth. And I'm going to do it through the arts. And that to me was another profound affirmation that God was not only in the arts, but God had called me um, to the nations and that he was going to um, see the arts and the imagination, open doors to the gospel that were closed tight. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I've seen that become a reality. Yeah, and uh, Colin, you've been, in, I mean, you've been involved in many different, uh, different productions over, the, over your career. Um, but uh, the one the one that I'm most familiar with, and probably probably your most popular, but you can, you can uh, correct me. But um, the production Toymaker and Son, uh, that that's been performed in seventy countries around the world. Um, can you can you just talk about about Toymaker? Talk about that story and uh, how God has used that in uh, in arts in for evangelism and for mission. Yeah, um, this, this actually was birthed around the same time as the Lord told me to lay down my teaching profession 
and joined this mission organization. So the school I was at was not a Christian school, but back then, certainly in England, I had great freedom to do whatever I wanted to do and to do things that were gospel-oriented if I wanted to. Um, and I was struggling. I, I wanted to do something that would leave my kids, and they were by now passionate about the arts. They had taught my passion. I mean, every day they worked hard to go into the gym to do something with dance or music or theater. And I wanted to leave them before I left with something that at their level um, would show them what the gospel story was all about. And I struggled for a few weeks with this, you know. And then I, I woke up one morning. And I, in my mind, as I lay in bed, there was a picture of a cobbled street and a shop outside of which was an old-fashioned sign hanging that said, Toolmaker and Sons. And that was the initial journey. And as I lay there in bed, by the way, um, between when you wake up and get up, apparently, uh, researchers tell us is one of the most creative times that you can have. Um, the other one is when you're in the shower. So anyway, this, this happened between when I woke up and when I got up, and, uh, and I just began to think, toy maker and sons. Well, God was the toy maker. It was the son, of course. It was Jesus. And mm -hmm. um, what was the world? Well, the world would be toy land. And who would Satan be? Well, he would be the master apprentice, and the people in the world would be toys. And I began just to put this parable, this allegory of the gospel together. Mm -hmm. And I jumped out of bed, ran downstairs, and I had a very eclectic dance um, <laughs> connection with music, um, Deep Purple and Pink Floyd and a few others yeah. that I used. And very quickly... I had selected music in my mind to put this thing together. And uh, I did it. Um, five weeks later, we performed it. It was 52, uh, 52 minutes long. And right from the day one, it, it just had a profound impact. And when I joined... Sorry, you were going to say something? No. Okay. Well, you know, when I joined you for the mission, we um, ended up going to Venice for an outreach where we joined over 325 other missionaries in training um, there in, in Venice, in Italy. And the leaders had heard about Toymaker and Sons. Oh, wow. And they said, they said to me, um, we'd like you to do it here on the streets of Venice. And I just laughed. And I said, no, no, that, that can't be possible. This was written for children. Right. You know, these kids, these kids were 11 years of age. Um, and I said, furthermore, um, people don't stop on the street to listen to anything for more than a few minutes. 52 minutes is just not going to work. Mm -hmm. and, and But they persisted, and they said, we really have prayed about this and would like you to do it. So I did. We, we took a week, which was a crazy amount of time, and pitched. Um, 25 to 30 of the people who had some experience in theater and dance put together some improvised costuming. Mm -hmm. And we performed it for the first time at the campsite we were at in Venice in front of 350 
missionaries. And right, Ryan, it was a moment of revelation for me because when it was happening, people were crying. I, I mean, I don't think there was anybody that wasn't crying. And at the end, when the leader got up um, to close it out, he couldn't talk. He was crying so heavily. And I'm saying, what is going on? Um, I've never seen anything like it. And when things calmed down and we finished and we were dispersing, I went up to several people um, that I knew there and I said, tell me, what just happened? And they said, we have heard the gospel. Yeah. We know the gospel. But when we saw the gospel, when we saw it being acted out, when we saw the love of the toy maker for his son and for the toys, it suddenly took a new level of meaning and understanding for us. And so for me, that was, that was a shocking experience to go through. And then when we went out, um, into St. Marco's Square and, uh, and other piazzas there in Venice, and we performed in live. I mean, hundreds. In St. Marco, over 300 people stood for the whole 52 minutes. I saw them laughing. I saw them crying. Uh, I saw some of them kneeling down. It was, again, an extraordinary encounter with the power of the arts mm -hmm. to touch people at a deep level, in, in a language that they could understand, that wasn't didactic and preachy, but something that they could enter into a world of toys, mm -hmm. and even as adults, you know, receive revelation and understanding of the truth of God's story. Yeah, that was, uh, that was my experience as well, and I've, uh, I've never had the chance to see, uh, to see a live performance, but uh, I've seen a recording of, uh, of the Toymaker production, and it's uh, that's exactly my experience. Like you can you can listen to the dialogue and like as a Christian, as someone who's been who's grown up hearing the gospel story, it's uh, as you mentioned, it's it was done for kids. It's at uh, at a child's level. It's dealing with toys. It's a pretty straight. It's pretty straightforward in terms of the allegory. Um, but to see it to to see it come alive through. Through dance, through music, through through the light, and uh, and all of these different artistic elements, it's just it just takes it to a, a whole different level that you uh, you wouldn't necessarily expect if you were just to sort of just to read the uh, read the dialogue or have it presented in that didactic way. No, and uh, and it's as you say, it's, it's gone to seventy or more different nations. It's been performed as a, an official part of the Olympic Games and, and a number of occasions, the Commonwealth Games. The Queen had a command performance in New Zealand. Um, I mean, the Mundial football um, events. So it, it's been accepted by non-Christians as, as something that's entertaining, um, but also that has impact. And so it's it managed to enter into all these different venues, um, which is absolutely extraordinary. Um, yeah, nothing that I could ever, I could ever have, have thought about. There's one that, if, I, if I've got time to do this, I, 
a story comes to mind that um, was very, very special to me. You know, you don't often hear what God does. You know, I, I've heard that so many people have come to Christ in certain venues, that whole churches have been, uh, have been, you know, formed as a result. You know, I've heard it's been performed before world leaders, governments, and so on. But actually to hear the life-changing stories. I, I was actually meeting with a group of Hollywood producers and uh, a screenwriter. It wasn't my meeting, but I was helping. Um, and I was sitting opposite this girl in her early 30s who was a Hollywood screenwriter. And we got to talk, and um, someone down the end of the table, for some reason, mentioned Toymaker and Co. And this girl abruptly stopped our conversation and spoke to the person at the end of the table and said, did somebody, did somebody just mention Toymaker and Co? And uh, the person said, yeah, it was me. And that guy you're talking to, he's the one who wrote it. And again, I, I, I tend, you know, you go on with your life, you tend not to think a lot of things that are happening or have happened in the past. And uh, she engaged me in this conversation. She said, I have to talk to you. She said, I was totally crippled. I was in a wheelchair. I had, I had arthritis from head to toe. Um, and she was around about 18 years of age. She said, I was a Christian. And she rolled up her sleeve and she had this big scar where the doctors had tried to operate because she couldn't move. And she said, I was, I was destined to a wheelchair for the rest of my life. And she said, my friends came to me and said, there's a show coming, Toymaker and Son, to California. And uh, they said, we'd love to take you. And she said, oh, I'd love to go. And they brought her in her wheelchair. And she said, I sat down. And 15 minutes into the show, watching these dancers dance across the stage, she said, I just cried out in my heart to the Lord. Lord, I was just so wrong to be able to move my body like they are. And she said, within moments, God began to heal her. And she said, within days, all of the arthritis had left her body. And she said she went back to her doctor, and uh, he had no explanation for it. He, he couldn't understand what had happened. And when we left, she reached her arms up and put them around my neck and said, thank you. And, and she said, I could never have even hugged you. I couldn't lift my arms up. And I walked out of there, Ryan, you know, floating on air. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's yeah, because gratitude to God for what he's done. But gratitude to God that he let me meet someone who had been profoundly impacted by a work of art that brought the truth of his story in a creative way. That's, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a mind-blowing kind of experience. That's, uh, that's wonderful that you got to, actually got to, I guess, see some of that, ex experience that. Um, it, uh, it, it leads, it leads to a, a somewhat related question. Um, we, I mean, we, we live, as, uh, as everyone well knows, in a fallen world, a world that's been uh, badly broken with very real felt and uh, immediate needs. Um, in, 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 with the world in the state that it's in, um, I guess, I guess like, is, is the development of creativity, the pursuit of artistic excellence, is, the, is this important to God when there are so many... I guess um, more 
more immediate needs um, readily apparent? Well, this is um, honestly a question that I get asked a lot. I think it's a question that artists struggle a lot with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they look at the sex trade, you know, with children. They look at poverty. They look at all the broken things in the world. And then they find themselves looking at themselves in a mirror in a studio while they're developing their dance technique and trying to be excellent in their craft. And, and, and they struggle with that. Mm-hmm. And they say, how, how can this be possible? And of course, um, not just in the church, but in the world generally, um, art is not valued. Um, it, it's valued at a certain level for its entertainment. But, you know, and, and I knew as an educator, um, whenever the budget's tight, mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the first thing that goes? It's the art. That's right. Because... Really, what are we saying by, by doing that? We're saying that the arts are dispensable. You know, they're not really that important. And I think as Christians, our understanding of the arts should be absolutely opposite to that understanding. I mean, for, for a start, the arts are gifts that God has given to us. And, and like every gift, that God gives, and he wants us to develop those gifts and use those gifts for his glory. So the first thing I I say in response to that question often to artists is, has God given you a gift? Yes, he has. Well, God expects you to use that gift for his honor uh, and for his glory. And I love the quote by Buchner. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with this, when he talks about calling. He says, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep sadness and the world's deep hunger meet. And for me, that's a response to the idea of, look, your passion is the arts. It's, it's a gift that God has given you. Now develop that gift to the best that you can, and then seek the Lord as to where in the world's deep hunger your gift and your passion can meet and serve. And I, and I, I found that to be helpful as, as many artists have got engaged in all sorts of different activities, whether it's social justice issues or yeah. art therapy or whatever where their passion is, where their heart is broken like God's heart is broken over the brokenness of the world, um, I think this is a way that they can understand that gift can be used to serve, and it's being used um, in many different ways around the world um, for, the, for the glory of God. There's another, there's another um, comment that I don't remember the quote exactly, but it comes to mind by N.T. Wright. Uh, in talking about the valuing of the arts. And uh, he says that, you know, many people just think um, as, as the arts as pretty things around the border mm-hmm. uh, of reality. But he says, oh, no, they're much more than that. They're highways into the center of the reality that cannot be apprehended in any other way. And so I, I think... 
in, in responding to this part of the question, uh, I, I think as Christians we have to value the arts, we have to value our gifts um, and see them given by God, develop them to the best we possibly can and offer them um, for his honor and for his glory. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please take a moment to like, share, and rate the podcast on social media and your favorite listening platform. For more resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.